Good morning, Harlem. Amen. It's gloomy outside, but it doesn't have to be that way inside, right? Well, let's go to God with the word of prayer. Um, I have a very encouraging message this morning. You need it. I need it, too. Let's pray. God in heaven, Father, we want to thank you for uh, giving us the rain. Father, we know that without it, we would not have the trees that give us the life-sustaining air that we need. We would not have water in which to drink and bathe and wash our clothes and all the things that we, we do with water. So, God, we, we thank you uh, for the water. We thank you for uh, loving us and sustaining our life, God, and all the life around us. And I do pray that you'll continue uh, to sustain us, uh, sustain us spiritually, uh, Father, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and through our fellowship with one another. I do pray that my words will be yours and that we will be encouraged in your word and called higher uh, in our faith. We love and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to talk about avoiding some spiritual pitfalls. Is that all right? Avoiding spiritual pitfalls. Well, what are pitfalls? What, what is a pitfall? Uh, a pitfall is a hidden or unsuspected danger or difficulty. It's like a trap. It can be camouflaged. You may even see it. But sometimes, most of the time, we don't often see pitfalls. Uh, you know, last night we were in New Jersey celebrating my, my uh, sister-in-law's 40th birthday. You guys remember Margaret? Some of you remember Margaret? And as we were pulling into the parking lot, it was dark, and I hit the biggest pothole of my life. I mean, it just, you know, when you hit those things, it just jars you. It was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see it. And sometimes that's what life is like. You know, sometimes spiritually, we just don't see those, those spiritual potholes that are just waiting for us. And we walk right into them. And so hopefully today we'll be able to identify some of the spiritual pitfalls in our life and God will help us avoid them, amen? You know, pitfalls can make it hard to reach your goals. It can keep us stuck in an undesirable position in life. Have you ever felt that? Like, man, I just want to get out of this situation, but this pitfall, I can't seem to climb out of this thing. And sometimes pitfalls can sidetrack us from what's most important, God, family, each other. And so today I want to talk about some of these spiritual pitfalls. Um, you know, at some point in our life, we're going to come across them. There are some we can't avoid, and there's some you just can't avoid. And so we need to know how to behave when we do uh, come into contact with some, sp some uh, pitfalls. You know, I know there were some that I've seen other people walk into, and I thought, man, I'll never fall into that. That was just too obvious, only to later in life trip over the same pitfall. So if you think that you're at a place spiritually, well, bro, come on, man, who can't see that? That's obvious. Think twice, because our pride can cause us to trip up. You can stumble over our pride, amen? So let's look at some of these, but let's look at some scriptures to get us prepared right here. In James chapter 1, the, new, uh, the Good News Bible version says, If people are tempted by such trials, they must not say this temp temptation comes from God. For God 
cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But people are tempted when they are drawn away by what? And trapped by their own evil desires. Yes, we all have evil desires. Everybody. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. We all have evil desires. I see this often in the grocery store. As soon as you walk in, the produce aisle's right there, and I go in and I want to buy me some grapes, and there is that sweet old lady standing over an open bag of grapes just helping herself. And I'm thinking, come on now, buy it. But she couldn't resist that little evil desire that we all experience when we go to the grocery store and want to pluck a cherry or two to taste how fresh it is. Temptation, right? Their evil desire conceives to give birth to sin, and sin, are you like, James, that's sin? I didn't know that was sin. I'm going to stop that. But, but that's where it starts. It's temptation. You walk in, maybe for you it's a bag of grace, maybe for some people it's a, a, you know, those candy that used to have them in the supermarket where you can go and weigh the candy, scoop it up and put it in the bag. People were scooping them up, putting some in the bag and some in their pocket. They just couldn't resist the temptation. I remember being a young man going to the movie theater. Now they, they've, you know, it's a lot harder to sneak into multiple movies. When I was a teenager, I would pay for one movie, and I saw three movies. Y'all know how it was on Fordham Road, the old Valentine movie theater. You go in, once that movie is out, you wait, you time it right, you go and you see another movie. The temptation is just too great sometimes. And we don't realize it's sin until somebody says, you know that's the wrong thing to do, right? I said, wait a second, I didn't know that was bad. I thought that I could actually see three movies by paying one price. Really? <laughs> Temptation comes from what we desire. What we desire. And the sooner you and I are honest about the things we desire, the better prepared we'll be to identify and avoid the pitfalls of life. You know, the good news is that God knows where every single trap lies. He knows where every snare that's been laid out for us, he knows where they all are. And God puts up these spiritual flags to help us identify where all these traps are. Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 91, I don't know, what's up with my click over here? There we go. Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, those who go to, the, to uh, God Most High for safety will be protected by the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. You are my God and I trust you. God will save you from hidden traps and from deadly diseases. You know, I didn't put this one up, but 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you, has, uh, ex has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted more beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. There's no temptation that you and I come across that God cannot help us overcome. He promises to be there for us. We just need to trust God. We need to trust God. You know, God promises to save us from all the hidden traps 
if we would just trust him. So what are some uh, pitfalls that we must watch out for? There's a lot, but I only want to focus on three because I don't have a whole lot of time here. All right? The first one, the potholes of possession. Now, I misspelled possession, so don't, don't get on me about that. I was tired. I put this together with one eye open. So there are potholes of possessions. Now, I got to confess, as much as I preach about greed and possessions, I am just as guilty as the next person. I love things, and I love certain things. And you know what you love when you have multiple versions of those things. Now, I love watches. Now, I'm not talking about expensive watches. I like watches. That's just the thing. I, love, I always loved watches. And you know you have too many watches. When you have watches where they stop working and you still have them. And you forget that you have them. That's usually sign number one that you got too much stuff. And I'm thinking, man, this is only a $20 watch. This is only a $15 watch. This is a $30 watch. You know, my wife buys me a watch every Christmas or so, every other Christmas. And so I keep those, you know. But then there are other little accessories that I have. And I'm thinking, why do I need all these watches? And, you know, you may think, see, I think sometimes what happens to us, we think that greed is only on that big level, that corporate level, that you know, stealing out of people's pensions and 401ks and, and, and buying all these expenses. No, greed is greed. All right? Whether it's great or small. But it can be a pothole to our faith if we're not careful. Listen to some of these quotes. Money is a great servant, but a bad master. Doesn't the Bible say that in Matthew 6? That you can't choose between God and, you can't serve both God and money, right? I love this one by Warren Buffett. If you, bring, if you buy things you don't need, soon you will have to sell the things you do need. That's intense. That's coming from one of the richest men in the world. And, I, you know, it, it's like when you realize that you get, you know, Sometimes, and, and look, I'm just like everybody. Look, I, I, like, I work hard, and you want to treat yourselves to some things, but you got to stop and think sometimes, all right, it, do I really need this? I know I really want it, but do I really need it? I'm talking down to, like, lotion. Like, did you finish the bottle you just had before you go out and buy the other one that's on sale? You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know I'm not the only one. You're like, why do I got three different bottles of lotion on, this, on, on my dresser? This one's not even, not even done yet. And a lot of it comes from just being impulsive, impulsive buyers. You happen to be out. You go to that grocery store to buy a pack of gum. Oh, some lotion on sale. I need some lotion. No, you just want some lotion. And then you go buy it and realize you got a brand new bottle sitting at home because you did the same thing last week. Far too many have fallen into the pitfall of possessions. And Paul told, the young, he told Timothy that those who want to get rich will fall into this temptation. It's a trap. 
and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and, des- and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. You know, I think it's interesting that Paul said, he didn't say that the rich have wandered away from the faith. He said that those who wanted to pursue money have wandered away from the faith. I think sometimes we have this mentality that only rich people struggle with this. Poor people struggle with greed too because we want to be like the rich. How much do you spend on a lottery this month? Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Now, what what could you have used that money for? But it's because we want to be rich, and we want to be rich now. I don't want to wait. I want to be rich now. I want that that, that money ball. I want that that mega millions. I want to be a mega million. I don't want to just be a millionaire. I want to be a mega millionaire. What's it going to be five million, multiple mega, I mean super duper mega millionaire? Like, when does it end? At one point in time, the lottery, people played the lottery just to win a, a million. Now we're in mega millions because our greed is insatiable. Our desire for things and material possessions is insatiable. We got to have mega now. Before you were a millionaire, I mean, it was like, whoa, now, oh, you're a millionaire, that's it? That's it? You're not a billionaire? You're not part of the billionaire boys club? Soon, trillionaire is going to be, it's going to be the new thing. People are going to be shooting for, I mean, when does it end? Money could open a lot, don't get me wrong here, money can open up a whole new world of possibilities. But it has to be kept in the right balance. Desire for more is hammered into our thinking every single day. I got an email from Macy's yesterday. And guess what it said? It says, we're keeping it 100 with hundreds of specials. And I'm like, yo, I like to keep it 100. And Macy's like to keep it 100? Sign me up. You know what So what do we do? We get those emails and we're like, yo, I want to keep it 100 too. Materialism and personal wealth is hammered into us every single day. Commercials, advertisement, all these things. You know, Paul dealt with the same pitfall in his day. And these people had far less than what we have today. But they still dealt with greed. They still dealt with the materialism. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, we got to guard our hearts against greed with contentment. Asking God to teach us how to live on less. You know, I remember growing up in the projects, we didn't have a whole lot, but I do remember happy days in the projects. I remember the sun still shined on the projects. We still had fun. I still had fun playing basketball and, and, and doing all the things that we did. And I remember all those things going into our little jacked-up elevator, into our, our tight and little apartment in the projects. We were still happy with far less than what we even have now. 
So you can't be happy with less. You can absolutely be happy with less. We need to ask God to help us, teach us, train us on how to be happy and content with less. It's not easy, but it can save your life. In Proverbs 19, verse 23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. That's how we want. we want. We want to be with God. We want our lives to be protected by God, content with God. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, that the priests, they had no portion of the land once they reached to the promised land? Their portion, their reward was God himself. He divvied up all the land to all the tribes of Israel, but to the priests, he said, I'm not giving you any land. I'm your inheritance. There was a time when that was enough for God's people. All I got is God and that's enough. Sometimes we're like, yeah, I got God, but I also need a new TV. I got to put one in the bathroom. I got one in every room now, but just I got I to have that one in the bathroom. If you lost everything right now, your car, your house, your job, but you still had your faith. Could you be content with that? Could you be content with that? Because when we get to heaven, that's all you will have anyway. You're not going to have your car. You're not going to have your dresses. You're not going to have your shoes. All you're going to have is God and God alone. God's just trying to prepare us for heaven, guys. He's just trying to prepare us for heaven. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, I'm going to skip ahead here. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have now because God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know, Philippians 4, Paul, Paul said in Philippians 4 that he has learned to be content. He had to learn, he had to practice He's not saying it's easy. He's not saying, look, I just woke up and decided I'm going to be content. No, Paul had to learn in every situation. When he had a lot and when he had very little, he had to teach himself. He had to practice being content. I mean, imagine the, the temptation that, man, now i got to bump in my, my paycheck. I can go get this. I can go get that. Practice content. You know what? you got an extra little amount of money. Be content with what you have right now because who knows? God may have a blessing coming your way, but if you're not content with the little that he has, why would he want to give you more? See, God's more concerned about your faith than he is about your bank account. You can still go to heaven with only $100 in your bank account. You can still go to heaven without a checking account. You can still go to heaven not having owned a home, owned a car. You can still get into heaven, especially if God is all and all in your heart. The second pitfall, the second pitfall is the pitfall of pride. You know, as often as we talk about pride and see example after example of its destructive cons, you would hope and you would think that people would become more humble. You know, I think about just my prideful, uh, prideful situation I had just, just, just this week. You know, afterwards you go through it and you're like, Jay, you know better than that. I mean, how many times are you going to be down this road and decide to, be, to choose pride over humility? 
But we need constant reminders that humility is the best way to go. It is the best way to go. In Proverbs 16, what is going on here? Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. It is better to be humble and stay poor than to be one of the arrogant and get a share of the loot. You know, I tell you, pride, pride can make us do some dumb things, right? I mean, there's a guy in Boston who was charged with trying to hire a hitman to kill his estranged wife. He, he ended up hiring an undercover uh, state trooper, not knowing that he, you know, the guy was a cop. So he hired the guy to kill his wife. And so he got, he got arrested. The 53-year-old man be, had been convicted of trying to kill his wife. So then what he did, instead of learning the lesson, he went and hired a New Hampshire gangster to kill his wife and to kill the undercover cop that turned him in. And you would, it's like the gang member was another undercover cop. So he didn't learn his lesson. And you know, you just got to stand back and scratch your head and think, really? Like, you didn't learn your lesson from the first time? And you know, some people just don't learn from their mistakes. And it's pride that keeps us from learning from our mistakes. You know, maybe it's because they never really saw them as a mistake. Sometimes we come up with these brilliant plans in our minds and we don't think that it's a, a mistake and we should change our course of action. We're like, no, I just need to iron out the wrinkles in that plan. It didn't work right the first time, but you know what? I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to give up. And we just, you know, that's what this guy was thinking. Okay, that plan didn't work, so you know what? I'm going to get a real gang. I'm going to go get me an OG. And that guy ended up being an undercover cop. I mean, you know, sometimes we make these, we, we, we make these, these, these bad decisions because we refuse to humble out. Has God allowed you to be in a cycle that you're just finding yourself back at the same place over and over again? You've got to ask yourself, okay, God, where do I need to humble out here? Because I keep coming right back to this place in my life, so it's obvious I'm missing something. And, you know, with pride... We sometimes can't even recognize our own foolishness. Sometimes we need a Nathan to come point out, you the man. Or you the woman. We just need other people who have eyes on our life to say, yo, bro, do you think that was a smart thing to do? Or if you're married or dating, bro, do you, you think that was a smart thing to say? That's what I usually get. Like, do you, is that a smart thing to say? Like, nah. But we're prideful, and you can feel your pride. Pride affects our physiology. You know, when, you, when you're being defensive, you feel your body heat up, your core temperature rises, and you're sitting there, and you're trying to be humble. You're trying to push it down, but it's just bubbling up, and you just can't wait for your opportunity to say what you want to say. That's when you need to be humble. Because what's going to come out is going to be wrong. It's going to be bad, and it's not going to be humble. Every time. 
Every time, and I know I'm speaking from experience, every time I felt that and I spoke with that feeling and emotion, it just didn't come out right. And then you got to find, then you try to find a way to clean up the mess you just made. Whereas if you were just humble from the beginning, the conversation could have ended a lot better. You know, this proverb right here, it's a very disturbing image if you think, I mean, it's a gross image. Have you ever owned a dog? Anybody has owned a dog? Have you ever had your dog get sick and then throw up and then go back and eat it? Like, I'm like, man, that's, that's crazy. But that's what, it compares an arrogant person who repeats their folly as a dog returning to its vomit. That's a very gross image, but it makes the point. You know, pride keeps us from learning the lessons that God wants to teach us. It keeps us from the blessings that come with being humble. There are blessings that come with being humble. But pride leads to insecurity. It, may, it feeds our insecurities. It even makes us conceited because it puts us in a whole nother, you know, we, we put ourselves in a whole nother class, a pride class, that no one else is smart enough to get into because you're the smartest person in the room. And you, no one knows how to handle your life better than you do. And pride can really mess us up in that way. Yeah, look at Philippians chapter 2, in verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You know, think about this. If pride, if, you know, sin could get married. Just, just, just bear with me for a second. If sin could get married, let's, just, let's imagine sin is actual living people. If sin could get married, I would think that selfishness and pride would probably make the perfect couple. Because they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Like, here you got the vain conceit and the selfish ambition. I mean, they, they kind of go hand in hand. And I would imagine, like, if I was asked to do that wedding... I can, see, I can imagine if vows sounded something like this. Selfish, repeat after me. Do you vow to focus on yourself entirely on your own interests? Keep to yourself, help only when you feel like it as long as you don't feel uncomfortable and only give half your heart? I do. And pride. Do you vow to never seek advice? Godly influence, walk with the wise, assume you're the smartest person you know and allow your ego to be your guide? I do. <laughs> Begrudgingly, you may kiss your bride. And pride is thinking, she's not cute, she's not pretty enough for me. She's, she's, she's not worth my... My effort. And selfish is like, he's not going to smear my lipstick. This is my day. This is my day. I mean, they, they start off wrong, but they complement each other because pride often defends selfishness. When someone points out in your life that you're being selfish, sometimes the first thing we do is get prideful because we want to protect our self-interest. And when we're being selfish... And, and, and when we're being prideful, most of the times you're being prideful about the things that matter most to you. 
It's all about you. And sometimes our pride and selfishness go hand in hand. And the answer to that is humility and selflessness. Now, I think they make a better couple. They love each other while meeting the other's needs. They don't sing their own praises, but they humbly accept the encouragement the other offers. They look for ways to help each other move forward. There are no walls around, keeping, them, uh, keeping out the wisdom of others. They serve. They give. They learn. They help. They get help. They focus on what matters to God, trusting that he, in turn, will focus on what matters to them. That's a, more, that's a happy marriage right there. Humility and selflessness. And it's also the attitude that we're called to have in Philippians 2, verse 5. That's the attitude of Jesus, is that we have an attitude of Christ. Changing our attitude in general and in every situation, it calls for us to be like Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be hard for you to know what kind of attitude Jesus has. So I want to encourage you to get to know Jesus. Get to know what Jesus would do in a situation that you may find yourself in. Get to know how did Jesus deal with difficult people. You'd be surprised. Jesus probably would never say some of the things you said or some of the things you're thinking. How did Jesus deal with people who refused to listen to him? How did Jesus deal with friends who abandoned him? You'd be surprised. He still went to the cross for those friends. He was still humble enough to accept even the, even the little bit that they gave. That's who Jesus is. That's his attitude. And that's what we must imitate. And lastly, the last... Uh, the, stag, the snag of stagnation. The snag of stagnation. You know, this pitfall really sobered me as I studied it out. And you'll see why when we look at Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verse 14 through 16 says, To, any, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, as I read this, I tried to make this, this letter personal. So instead of it being written to the church, I just replaced Lad Yosea with James. And I read it to, you know, to, to James. These are the words of the Amen. I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. And that had, a, that had a different impact when I read it that way. Because then it, it, it forced me to really think about the areas in my life that are lukewarm. Are there areas in my life that are lukewarm? Are, are there you know, places in my heart that were more pliable to God years ago that aren't as pliable to God today? Do I still get excited about reading my Bible as I did when I was a young Christian? Do I still look forward to times of prayer? Do I still get those butterflies in my stomach and push through them to share my faith like I did when the cross was still fresh on my heart? Do I still look for opportunities to spend time with Christians rather than avoid those godly relationships? Do I still make the sacrifices 
that I did? Do I still do the things that I did before going into the ministry? Do I still do those things? And let me tell you something. It does sober you up when you do those type of self-checkups. It does help you to see where you need to get hot or where you need to become more refreshing towards others. But the thing is, guys, we can't stay lukewarm. If you find yourself in that place, you just can't stay there. You can't, you can't just allow yourself to stay in a place of stagnation because that just stinks everything up. You know, I took my son out. This is a picture of Van Cortland Park Lake, believe it or not, right there in the Bronx. So last year I took my son fishing. You know, we're looking for all sorts of, you know, I was looking for a place to take him fishing. And I saw this picture on Google because I'm looking, I'm like, you know, where can I take him locally? And, and this picture showed up. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to take him to Van Cortland Park. Now, as we journey to, you know, he's all excited. He's talking. He's, like, excited about catching fish. And, and I'm excited. But, you know, I can't wait to have this father-son experience that we're going to, you know, when I get old, he's going to come over to the house. And I'm going to be on my porch or my rocking chair. And he's going to be like, Dad, do you remember the time we went fishing at Van Cortland Park? So, you know, I'm just all these, I'm just, just looking forward to having these memorable uh, moments with my son. We pull up into the parking lot. That should have been the first sign. So we pull into the parking lot, and I'm like, am I in the right place? Like, so I'm like, all right, well, maybe, you know, the lake is further back. This is what we saw instead. Now, at some point, the person who took that previous picture that was actually Van Cortland Park. That's not a fake lake. That was Van Cortland Park Lake. So at some point, that lake was pristine. It was beautiful. They, they, it, got, it got five stars. People are like, fishing here is great. You can catch this. You can catch that. So I'm telling my son what kind of fish he's, he's all fired up. He's like, yeah, daddy, we're going to go catch some, some bass. And we get down, and I'm like, what in the name of all that is holy? Like... And not only that, but <laughs> the smell. And I'm looking out at this lake, and I'm just like, what happened? The smell, it was like this green blanket over the water. And this is the thing that really got me. The water did not move. It looked as if you could, like, walk across the lake. And so Noah, you know, being, you know, eight years old and just fired up to be with his dad. So, Dad, are we going to, I'm like, no. I don't even want to put the line, I'm like, don't get too close. It's like pigeons flying over, a hawk flew over our head going after a pigeon. I'm like, what in the world? And so, you know, just that, that whole memory was just, I was devastated. And then I thought about that stagnant body of water. And this scripture came to mind. And I was like, wow. 
wonder if God just wanted me to see this, just, just to have that illustration of what, what it looks like to be stagnant in the faith. There's nothing attractive about that. And I just thought, man, I don't ever want to be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be this, this lukewarm. I mean, I could see why Jesus would want to spit it out. I didn't even want to go near it. And, you know, if we're not careful, that's where our walk with God can become. I believe we've all started out like the previous picture. Pristine, beautiful. You just, you just want to set up shop there, just be there all day. But after, after a while, our faith gets beat up. And when we refuse to move, move forward, to let God take us to, another, to, take us to some different places, that's what can happen. And that's not where God wants you to be. He says, I either want you to be hot or cold. Hot or cold. So I want to ask you a question. Where, if at all, do you see stagnation in your life? Do you see stagnation at work? Are you stagnant on your job? Or do you still work as though you work for the Lord? How about at home? What, what's the atmosphere like at home? When you go home, do you leave the spirituality here? And then when you get inside, it's a whole other world? Or do you take the Lord with you everywhere you go? How about your marriage? You know, I remember my marriage, my wedding day, and being there, standing in front of my bride and all of our friends and family, how excited I felt about being married to one of God's daughters. And I can honestly say I'm still happy. But there have been times where we've just gotten stagnant. We weren't as, 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 as you know, get up and go as we used to. Now, kids can tend to do that sometimes, but I'm not blaming the kids. We can't blame the kids for everything. Now, there are times you've got to just slow down. But I'm talking about staying on fire for the Lord. We've gone through that, that little stagnant period. It was like, no, 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 no. We got to, we got to, this is, we stink in a place up here. And we've had to make some choices to get our marriage going, doing the things that we love to do, doing the things we know we can do. And then what about your dreams for God? Some of us used to have big dreams. We wanted to go on mission teams. We wanted to plant churches. Some of you even had vision of being in the full-time ministry. And maybe you're thinking, man, that, that ship has sailed for me, James. It's gone. It's, let me tell you something. God called some of the great men and women that we read about today in their 40s. Moses was called, how old was Moses? 80 years old. Some of us are thinking, but bro, I'm going to be retired at 80. Moses just got working at 80. So you don't have to have these stagnant dreams when it comes to God. We need to shake up our faith. We need to stir the waters. We need to get things fired up again. Or if not, 
You need to chill and get some, be a refreshment to some people. Because here's the thing. The good news is that you can take stagnant water and change the condition. If you look at a glass of water that's been sitting out on the table, either you're going to heat it up and make some tea out of it or put some ice cubes and drink it and refresh yourself. Just don't let it sit there. You can do something with your faith. You don't have to just sit there and not move. God will move you if you're willing to be moved. But you got to be willing to be moved. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, I, I did not put this up there because I don't want us to get stagnant with not opening up our Bibles. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 9, turn. Let me hear them pages flicker. Brother asked me, he said, bro, you didn't put up the scriptures. I'm like... Yes. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past. You know, I think we have some great role models right here in the church of people who have kept their spiritual fervor. And we need to find a way to spend time with them and ask them, how did you keep, how did you keep your, your zeal? How do, you, how do you keep from being stagnant? How do you bounce back? How do you push through? We need to talk to brothers like Tim Bala, who has gone through so many trials. But the brother is still zealous for the Lord. That's my, that right there is my modern day Caleb. That brother has not slowed down since I've met him. And he's been through death. He's been through divorce. He's been through ups. He's been through downs. He hadn't seen his family in his home country in over 25 years. But he does not let that keep him from giving to his family here. That's a refreshing brother. That's a refreshing brother. You know, I think about disciples who, who just keep pushing through, keep pushing through, keep pushing through. We need to spend time with them. We need to ask them, hey, just, just rub some of that faith off on me, like that lotion that you got in your dresser. <laughs> rub some of that, that faith onto me because I need some. And shake things up in our walk. I think sometimes we get so discouraged. We're like, James, I've been this way for so long, I just can't see a way out. I understand. I've been there. And let me tell you, it took someone reaching in and pulling me out. And you need to make yourself available to, help some, to let someone pull you out of that stanky, stagnant water that's not going to go anywhere. Amen? Keep growing. Keep moving. It, you know, stagnant just simply means that you're motionless. You know, I was so proud of Dylan and Diamond that came up with the plan for our teens to keep them moving. 
keep them growing. They realize that year after year, kids go to camp, they get fired up, and then they come home, and they're, 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 they're on fire, they're hot water, they're cold water, and as soon as they come home and real life sets, they start to slow down, and they start getting stagnant. And all that excitement and encouragement and conviction that they got at camp, where is it? So we came up with a 30-day challenge for them to pick something that they could do for the next 30 days, and they'll come back and talk about it. I think that's a great plan. Come up with something. You've got to have a plan. You can't just sit there and hope and pray that things will change. You've got to have a plan. God, I want to read my Bible every day for the next 30 days or the next three weeks or the next week. Whatever you've got to do to get yourself out of the rut, do it. I remember one time I was struggling with my evangelism. I'm like, you know what? I hadn't had anyone out to church for a while. God, for the next 30 days, I'm going to share my faith with someone every day. And I've shared my, and let me tell you, it was hard sometimes because there are times where you, you get busy and you're like, oh, yeah, I hadn't talked to anybody. And then you go out to the store, you buy stuff you don't need. That's, that's a, you know, that's an exception. So you go out, and I bought me some lotion. I'm just kidding. But then, you know, you go out and you find somebody and you're like, I really don't need this, but I just need to share my faith. Because of your vow. Because you're just trying to shake things up. And if you're still scared, get somebody to do it with you. Don't go at it alone, but you got to have a plan. Got to have a plan for your marriage. Honey, I'm not happy where we're at. We need to grow. We used to be more, we used to be better servants. We used to do more. We used to lead. We used to do whatever. God, let's, let's, let's figure out what we can do. Because God gave everybody 24 hours in each day. You can give one hour. One hour to one person every day. God built it into your schedule if you make it happen. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing. If you realize that you may be lukewarm, God has good news. He will lead us out to a place where we can refresh others. Lastly, in Psalm 18, verse 36, you broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. If you want to avoid these pitfalls of life, let God lead you. Let God lead you. Be thankful that God has broadened the path and not narrowed the path. He didn't made it more difficult for you. God made it easier for you. He broadened the path. He's like, look, I'm going to show you where all the pitfalls are, and I'm going to help you get over all of them. But you've got to trust me to lead you. You've got to depend on my plan for your life. Follow it wholeheartedly, and God will help you avoid those pitfalls. To God be the glory.